Broadcasting live from the North Fulton Business Radio X studio, it's time for To Your Health with Dr. Jim Morrow. To Your Health is brought to you by Morrow Family Medicine, an award-winning primary care practice, which brings the care back to healthcare. Hello, this is Jim Morrow. Welcome to To Your Health with Dr. Jim Morrow. I appreciate very much you tuning in. Uh, once again, for this is episode 36, and we're very excited to be here. We're, I'm here in my office studio, which is really just my office until we do the podcast. Then it's my office studio, and I'm excited that I have an office studio. And I hope that uh, hope you're safe where you are. My producer and friend, John Ray, is at his much more decked out studio in his home. John, how are you doing? I'm doing great, except I don't have a piano in my studio. Oh, well, you definitely need to get one. Mm-hmm. There's no question about that. You need to get a piano in your studio. I'm sitting here looking at mine. Maybe one day I'll play something for everybody, and then they can go find a different podcast to listen to, which I'm sure is what would be the outcome of that. I bet you most of your patients so, don't know how talented you are. <laughs> in that regard, I'm pretty sure of it. Um, I am with Mara Family Medicine, and we have offices in Cumming, Georgia, and Milton, Georgia. We have the two locations. I have one thing I'd like to announce today that I'm pretty excited about. Since the pandemic, the uh, COVID-19 pandemic began, and I say it that way so that if you're listening to this podcast in the year 2030, you'll know which pandemic I'm talking about because there's probably going to be more. But uh, since it began, we have not been seeing sick patients in our office. We've been doing sick patients via telemedicine. Uh, we were doing testing for COVID-19 at one point. We did all that in the parking lot. So the, the office itself probably has had less virus in it than Home Depot has, which I'm pretty sure has got virus in it. But we are going to start seeing sick patients in our office once again in August of this year. What we're going to do is we're going to use our coming location for people who are well and doing physicals and rechecks and so forth. And we're going to use our Milton location for people who are ill. So we'll be able to take better care of those people who have some sort of respiratory thing, be it COVID-19 or anything else. So we're excited about that. And we feel like doing that, we'll be able to continue to provide you the best care that we can and continue to bring care back to health care, as we like to say around here. There are a couple of places that you can go to listen to our, our podcast. You can get it on any podcast app that you might have. Just be sure to hit the subscribe button. So you'll be notified when there are new episodes, which is every second and fourth Wednesday of the month that come out right after that. And then also there are a couple of opportunities for you to send us email or for topic ideas or thoughts and complaints and comments about the podcast. Uh, The easy one, and I'm happy to say I got an email this week at drjim at toyourhealth.md. That's drjim at toyourhealth.md. And John, I got a topic request this time, this week, for uh, the idea of doing an episode on ADD and its treatments. And I think we're probably going to do that next time in two weeks. I'm excited about that. It's something that we see a lot of and hear a lot about. Some people have it and some people that think they have it don't, but we're going to talk about all that. And the other place you can get to us is you can tweet us. We are at ToYourHealthMD. So enough of that. I want to give a very brief coronavirus update. Uh, Today is July the 8th, 2020. The coronavirus is still here. That'll be true next July the 8th and the July the 8th after that. It's not going to go anywhere. 
Hopefully it'll be less prominent, but it's not going to go away. Neither does the flu, flu virus. But right now what we're seeing is seeing a lot of debate about things like hydroxychloroquine. Um, we had a, a study that had a lot of data showing that hydroxychloroquine was not going to be the answer for this. That data was retracted uh, because of technicalities in large part. And I believe that data will be reaffirmed. There have been some reports. You can't call it data because it's not a scientific study, but there have been some reports of hydroxychloroquine being good for people with this virus. Most of it is people who had the virus, they were in the hospital, they got hydroxychloroquine, they got better. That's not a study, that's a report. And it might be the case, but whether it is or not, we're going to eventually find that out. And I'm glad to, to know that we are. We're seeing decreased numbers here in the state of Georgia overall, pretty much. It's not been the spike like you've seen in Florida, Texas, Arizona, and California. Those numbers are going up terribly. And my fear is that because of those and some others, the college football season is in grave danger of being canceled. I'm very concerned about that, not just because of watching football, although I'm a huge Clemson football fan, but I'm also concerned because it impacts so very many people financially. So that's a, a big deal. And other than that, really not a whole lot to tell about coronavirus that's new since our last talk. But what I am going to talk about today is something that I was not aware of until I started doing some looking around for what my topic might be. And it's a thing called the right to try. And the right to try has to do with medications that are not yet approved by the FDA, but might help some people with certain life-threatening diseases. So on May the 30th of 2018, so two years ago, President Trump signed a bill called the Right to Try Act, and it opens this new path for terminally ill patients who have used all of their government-approved options, whether it's uh, any drug the FDA has approved or they might even have been in a trial. They can't get into any other clinical trials to access treatments, and it gives them an opportunity for them to seek out investigational treatments. Now, 41 states have already passed Right to Try laws. But the federal government passing the law makes it the law of the land, so it supersedes any state that does not already have a right to try law. So in order to qualify for this, as I mentioned, you have to have a life-threatening disease or condition. You have to have used up all of your other treatment options. So if you're thinking about someone, a loved one or yourself that might have some form of cancer, and they've used up everything that the oncologist has to offer. But you know or you learn about a drug that's not been approved, but is in, has at least done phase one clinical trials, then you have a right to try that drug, given that all the other things are, are met. And we'll talk about that. You have to be unable to participate in a clinical trial involving that drug and you have to be certified by a doctor, of course, who will not be compensated, by the way, by the pharmaceutical company in any way. And you have, you have to give written consent for this to occur. And you can imagine there's some risks associated with this because we're talking about medications that have not been fully vetted and so forth. Now, a life-threatening condition is a little bit of a, a broad term. The federal law defines a life-threatening condition as disease or condition where the likelihood of death is high unless the course of disease is interrupted. 
So the best example of that certainly is is cancer, but you could include heart failure and that kind of thing, uh, many vascular disease, many other things. And if you look at the drugs and treatments that qualify for the right to try, they have to have already completed a phase one clinical trial. So you can't just take something right out of a scientist's garage. You got to have something that's been through phase one clinical trials. It has to be in an active trial that's intended to lead to approval of the drug. And like I said, for some reason, you would be excluded from that trial. And there are a million reasons you might be excluded. And this is something that if you've been in this situation, you may have run into it where you have a loved one or yourself who is very, very ill. And because of some part of the illness, they're unable to participate in the trial. And so with right to try, you could have access to that drug. The drug also has to be an ongoing active development. It can't be a drug that came out in the past and was discontinued or has been placed on a clinical hold or anything like that. It has to be something that the manufacturer is trying to bring to market. And as I mentioned, if you live in a state that has not yet passed a right to try law, it does not matter you can still do this in 50 states because of the fact that this right to trial law is a federal law. Cannabis, medical cannabis, might qualify for this if that version of medical cannabis has already been through a phase one trial and it remains in a study for an active clinical trial. So there's an important distinction there, and a lot of people are going to be curious about that, and I'm a big believer in medical cannabis. I think it's got an awful lot of benefits. And uh, so there are going to be instances where even medical cannabis might be something that you could be used in this situation. So if a drug has already been approved by the FDA for some other condition, you don't need to worry about the right to try because this is purely representing drugs that are not yet approved by the FDA. So there's a thing called off-label use, and I've mentioned this in previous podcasts, but without off-label use, we would not be able to treat in any meaningful way many of the conditions that we treat today because it's very common that I will use a, a medicine that was intended for condition A, but I'm using it for condition B because the medicines for that are approved for condition B just don't get the job done. But con- medicine for condition A might be very, very good for a particular thing. So as long as it's been approved by the FDA, your doctor, if he will, can use this medicine as off-label use. You don't need to worry about the right to try. That only applies to treatments that are be- being given to people in trials, but not already approved. So there is a charge, as you might expect, for these medications and for access to these medications. But there's there's some restrictions, some very good, I think, restrictions on what companies can charge. The federal law bans companies from making a profit on right-to-try drugs. They can't make a profit on a drug that's not yet been approved by the FDA. Now, they can recover costs directly related to providing an individual this particular treatment, but they can't make a profit. And the the regulations within the law govern what can and can't be included in the calculation of determining the direct costs. So there will be some sort of cost 
but it, it will not be, should not be a terribly exorbitant amount because it's just them recovering costs, not them making a profit. Paying for the medication and for the process might be covered by Medicare and Medicaid. There are some instances where Medicare and Medicaid cover, but they're not required to cover the cost of investigational treatments. So that's going to be a one-off between you and Medicare trying to get that covered. They may choose to cover it. Some insurance companies, commercial insurance companies, have been known to cover the cost of investigational treatments used by patients using right to try laws, but some companies have decided not to cover it. In my opinion, when they decide not to cover it, that's a good sign that you need a different insurance company. Because if they won't cover that, then they're just not trying to help you get better. And you're paying them these premiums. They need to be using that money to try to help you get better. Every patient's cost is going to be different. And it's going to be determined by their insurance company or program and their own financial resources and what the pharmaceutical company says it should cost. So there's, like you can imagine, a process here. But it's a process that if you're in this situation is obviously well worth going through. Because there will be times, and there have been times, when people have gone through this and they've had a better outcome than they would have had had they not had access to one of these investigational drugs. And I, th I think this is a fantastic program, and I'm very glad that it's out there and that it's available. It's a shame that it was only two years ago that it became available, but at least it is now. And that's the best we can do is to accept that and be glad about that and move forward. So I want to take a second to mention again that I am with Mara Family Medicine. Mara Family Medicine is a full-service primary care practice. Uh, we are doing in-office medicine. We're doing telemedicine. We're available 24 hours a day on call, seven days a week for emergency phone calls and such. And as I mentioned earlier, we are trying to bring care back to health care because for a very long time and still in many situations, the care part of healthcare has just been gone. And we're, we hope that if you become a patient or you are a patient at Mara Family Medicine, that you'll find this to be the case. We have two physicians, three physician assistants, and one nurse practitioner serving both these two locations. Uh, I hear all too frequently people will say, well, I referred so-and-so to you, but they couldn't get in for six months. And I will tell you that if you call and you ask for a physical with me, it's probably going to be six months, but if you're a new patient coming into the practice and you need a problem solved or you need a medication refilled or you have anything you want to consult about, that's not what a physical is for. You can get an appointment for that in a very short period of time. It's not difficult to get appointments with, with me or any of our providers here at Mara Family Medicine. So back to try, the right to try. I was wondering when I was going through this, how a patient would go through this process. Cause I can imagine the patient coming to me and saying, I want to try this medication and it's not on the market yet. And I would have absolutely no clue. And the way it works is the patient or their representative sends a letter to the drug manufacturer's director of compassionate use. A compassionate use is a phrase that's been used an awful lot during this pandemic because there are medications out there that have already been tried in COVID-19 patients that are not approved, but have been used under a compassionate use directive. 
And so you need to get in touch with the director of compassionate use and discuss the options for access. And the best way to do that is going to be to the, go to the manufacturer's website and either search for that individual or contact them through their website. And that's something that most anybody should be able to do. Now, there are many potential treatments out there, and you certainly may not be aware of any of them, certainly not all of them. And, but I have a few website addresses that we're going to include in the show notes that will help direct you. One is clinicaltrials.gov, one is emergingmed.com, and one is cancer.gov. And the details of all this will be in the show notes. So hopefully all you'll have to do is to click on that. and It'll take you to a list of trials. And if you're, if you're like most people who are in this situation, uh, you're certainly more than willing to, to do that research. And I, I wish you the best with that. One thing about the right to try, though, is that if you find a pharmaceutical company that has a medication that's in investigation at the time, they not, they're not required to give you access to the drug. They don't have to provide treatments to patients under this law. It just gives the patient the ability to use the drug without anyone having a penalty, provider, physician, nurse, institution, should that be done. But they don't have to give access to the drug. It wouldn't be appropriate to force companies to provide treatments they don't think are right fit for the patients, or if they don't have enough supply to provide treatment for people outside of their trial. So that's a decision the individual companies will have to make. My suspicion is that getting turned down for this kind of thing would be a little bit unusual, but it's not impossible that you could get turned down. Your doctor cannot be the one to submit this request for the treatment you want. Doctors have a responsibility to ensure that patients are given treatments that they believe in their professional opinion could help them. So this is something that you have to do between you and the pharmaceutical company's website. A doctor that doesn't think a treatment will help is not obligated to make this request. Uh, so it's something that has to be done otherwise. Doctors that do pursue treatment under the right patrol must be in good standing, of course, with their state licensing board, and they can't be compensated in any way by the company for having done that. And every one of these companies is going to have their own process and procedures in line to help them decide if they're going to approve these requests for the right to try. Now, this information uh, can be found on the righttotry.org website. We'll put that in the show notes as well. Um, but I, I thought this was something that was worth telling people about because it's something that you very well may not know about because I'm in this every day and I didn't know about it. So, John, that's what we have on the right to try. Okay, so I've got one question uh, regarding power of attorney, healthcare power of attorney, and which makes sense. This law does apply to someone that has healthcare power of attorney for like a parent or something like that, right? Right. So these people are, in the vast majority of cases, terminally ill in some way. And in a lot of those cases, they're not going to be making their own health care decisions. So they will, in many cases, have a health care power of attorney already in place. Gotcha. So uh, no need to change. I mean, we're 
we're kind of we're kind of practicing law without a license here. But so check, folks, check with your um, legal counsel. But um, if you've got an existing healthcare power of attorney, sounds like it covers this um, this new law. I believe it would, and you're absolutely right. That's exactly what we're doing is practicing law without a license. Um, and it burns me up when people practice medicine without a license, so I apologize to every attorney that might be listening. But uh, my understanding is that there's nothing needs to be done any differently with that. Uh, it still functions just like before, and it covers this just like it would any other health care decision that people would make. Awesome. I think that's it. I'm I'm really glad you brought up this topic. I mean, it's a good one. I think it is. I think it's very timely, uh, especially with people trying uh, uh, medicines with an emergency use uh, authorization for COVID-19 and so forth. So um, I, I just wanted people to be aware of this because, as I mentioned earlier, it was something I was not aware of. And I appreciate the attention and time that everybody's given us today. Uh, next time, we are going to talk about Uh, attention deficit disorder, whether it's real or not, whether it's appropriate to treat it or not in particular individuals. Uh, And I'm excited about that because it's a topic we deal with every day, but also it's one that came from a a listener who made that uh, request. So I'm excited about that. So John, for right now, here's to your health.